If you're a founder, you know that fundraising is a big part of the job. What you might not know is that Carta is there to help. Carta's new fundraising suite provides startups of all stages the best tools and support to easily issue safes, accurately forecast solution, and quickly close funding rounds. Save time, money, and make your next round your best yet. To learn more or to get started, go to carta.com forward slash fundraise. That's carta.com forward slash fundraise. Welcome to Inc.'s The Founders Project with Alexa Von Tobel. I'm Alexa, the founder of LearnVest, author of New York Times bestselling book, Financially Fearless, and second book, Financially Forward. I'm also the founder and managing partner of Inspired Capital, a venture firm focused on the entrepreneurs of the future. Each week, we sit down with the top founder to share their story of guts, inspiration, and drive. Hi, everybody. I'm your host, Alexa Montobo. And this week, I want you to meet Irving Fain, the founder and CEO of Bowery Farming, the largest vertical farming company in the United States. With a proprietary operating system, Bowery OS, the company leverages artificial intelligence, robotics, and computer vision systems to allow its farms to grow traceable produce at 100 times the rate of traditional agriculture. Irving founded Bowery Farming in 2015 with a mission to reimagine farming from the ground up. He has since raised $472 million to date and earned a valuation of over $2 billion. Bowery Farming, produce is now sold in over 850 stores nationwide. Irving was named the 2020 Entrepreneur of the Year by EY and is a founding member of the CEA Food Safety Coalition, which is developing a food safety standard for indoor farms. Before founding Bowery, Irving was the co-founder and CEO of CrowdTwist, a loyalty marketing SaaS business, which is acquired by Oracle for over $100 million. Prior to CrowdTwist, Irving ran a division within Clear Channel Online where he built, launched, and ran iHeartRadio. He also worked as an investment banker at Citigroups and holds a BA from Brown University. Let's welcome my friend, Irving. First things first, Irving, what is Bowery Farming? Go back to the beginning, the aha moment. What is the business for people who maybe haven't heard of it already? Yeah, absolutely. Let me start on what it is, and then we can kind of you know talk back to the journey is in whatever way you want to. So what we do at Bowery is build large scale warehouse, smart indoor farms that we locate close to the communities that we serve. And in our farms, we stack our crops from the floor all the way up to the ceiling. So you're using the cubic space of an indoor environment much more efficiently. And we grow our crops under lights that mimic the sun in this controlled and contained environment. And so that means that we can grow 365 days of the year, completely independent of weather, completely independent of seasonality. So it's reliable, consistent supply of high quality protected produce year round. On top of that though, we actually grow completely pesticide free, completely agrochemical free food. So there's no herbicides, so there's no fungicides, there's no insecticides. It's as pure and clean as you can find. And whereas when you do that outside in the field, both your quality suffers and your yield drops precipitously, in our case, Bowery produce is what produce is meant to taste like. It's what came out of your grandmother's garden. It's what you imagine when you walk in a farm stand in Italy. It it is really all the best signatures and flavors of produce. And from a productivity perspective, we're over a hundred times plus more productive per square foot of farmland. And all the while we use a small fraction of water compared to traditional agriculture. 
And what essentially makes that possible is a combination of robotics and automation, which we design and develop at Bowery, and that essentially automates our entire process from the very beginning of our seeds, all the way to when we put our products on trucks and get them sent to our retailers, and also the Bowery operating system. And the Bowery operating system is our software, our hardware, our computer vision and artificial intelligence system. Really, it's, a, it's our brains and central nervous system of our entire operation. And it orchestrates everything we do across the entire business, not only ensuring our plants get exactly what they need when they need it, but maximizing efficiency across the board. I want to just quickly step back. Let's go into a few things. So in 2015, you had an aha moment to go start this company. What you're doing sounds so obvious. It's like, why weren't we doing that prior? Um, so let's start with that first question. Why did we only start this in 2015 to think about growing pesticide freeze indoor 24 hours a day, seven days a week, year round? Why did it take that long? Yeah, it, it, it's the right question. And it sort of ties to that question that, you know, as an entrepreneur, you always ask, which is this, why now, right? Like, why is now the time for this idea? And actually, we've been growing food indoors under lights for a lot longer than 2015. And we've been doing this for decades. And, and if you look back to the early 80s, you can find pictures of NASA working on how do you grow plants inside under lights, because they wanted to figure out, well, how are we going to feed ourselves when we lived on the moon and we lived on Mars and wherever else? And that work and research was picked up and, and used by universities around the world and their labs and, and, and their professors. So work around growing plants inside has happened for a long time. The problem was the lights themselves were far too expensive and the efficiency of the lights was really poor. So you could grow food. It was just that economics that made no sense. It was essentially a research and development effort. And that stayed that way for, for quite some time. And it wasn't until about 10 years ago that everything changed. And what you actually saw was lights and the cost of lights dropped by over 85% and the efficiency of lights more than doubled. And that meant that for the first time, what had been primarily a research and, and development driven endeavor could actually become a commercially viable venture. And even more interesting to this trend is it's going to continue. And, and actually over the course of time at Bowery, we've seen this trend continue where you're gonna see another 50 to 85% drop in the cost of lights and another doubling of efficiency, which means the trend that got us to where we are today only continues. Now, what's really important that, that we learned and realized early on at Bowery that's really formed the structure of the business overall was lights are important and they certainly, and that trend makes indoor farming viable. But, but it doesn't alone make indoor farming scalable. And when we think about scalable, we think about how do you grow large volumes of crops and varieties of crops consistently and at a high quality and ultimately at a price point that allows you to have the largest market and therefore the largest impact. And to do that, we leverage innovation that's happening in robotics and automation, innovation around sensors and control technology, innovation in computer vision and artificial intelligence, and just storing and processing large amounts of data. And we pair that with what's happened in LEDs and collectively all those trends together is what we've used at Bowery to essentially reimagine what is agriculture and the food system going to look like in the next hundred years and beyond. You're about to open your largest and most sophisticated farm in PA. What do the indoor Bowery farming physical locations look like? So the first thing I would tell you that I think surprises a lot of people when they come visit one of our farms is not necessarily what it looks like, because 
unquestionably as you can see it doesn't look like the you know the the farms in the books that you probably read to your kids but what people are often surprised is they walk in and they're like wow this smells like a farm and absolutely in terms of you can smell the produce and in fact not only do can you smell it but the flavor and and the intensity like when we're harvesting our basil or we're harvesting our cilantro if you're within 50 feet of that that happening like you can smell it i mean it is everywhere around you and so it is a farm in the same way a farm outdoors you know anywhere around the country around the world is a farm because we're growing food we're just growing that food in a very different way and so the first thing you would see is and probably be struck by is just the scale of it and, and i think what people are oftentimes surprised by is just the scale in terms of a height and density of what we're doing i mean it is just you know standing amongst you know thousands, tens of thousands of plants growing at any one moment. And I think what's exciting about it as well is, whereas if in a field, you walk into a certain field, you'll be standing amidst that same crop and you'll sort of look around you and you'll see the same crop all around you. Whereas in a farm at Bowery, you can be looking at all different types of crops at all different stages of growing all at one time, which is in and of itself, you know, just kind of a sensory overload moment. And then the other piece of it that, that, that I think strikes people is just the technical complexity around them, whether it be the automation and the robotics, whether it be the sensor and control systems, and, and also the fact of how much of this functions without people being required to continuously make decisions and, and interject judgment along the way. Because so much of those decisions and judgment have been a key part of what farming has always needed historically. Since January of 2020, Bowery Farming has grown by 750% at brick and mortar stores, expanding to beyond 850 locations and has more than quadrupled e-commerce sales. Can you walk us through your go-to-market strategy? What has driven this immense growth? Absolutely. You know, I, I think the the first thing is we were really fortunate to have a, just a lot of momentum and enthusiasm long before, you know, COVID in, in early 2020. I mean, I think the the trends and you talked about as a mother, you know, I think you're, you're finding people and not just people with children, but people, you know, of all ages. And I think the other thing that people sometimes are surprised by is people of all economic backgrounds as well, really starting to ask questions like, where's my food grown? You know, how, where's my food made? How is it grown? What's on it or what's in it? Like people are looking for transparency out of the food they eat. I think there's a real clear connection between how we feel, how we live, and how healthy we are, and the things we eat. And that connectivity around what we eat obviously goes back to, well, what's in it and how are things made and how are things grown? And right off the bat, that is driving a lot of enthusiasm around what we're doing here at Bowery because we have complete transparency into our process. We can tell you exactly what we do from seed to store. And the fact that we're able to provide a local year-round pesticide-free product for people that they can trust and rely on, that's a very big deal. Now, COVID happens. And I think as we've heard, it doesn't necessarily introduce brand new trends, but what it did is accelerated these trends that I was just talking about. And so the first thing I think happened was we saw a very fast rupturing of the supply chain. You know, like we, we take for granted, I think a lot of times in this country, particularly that you can walk into a grocery store at any time of year and find anything you want. 
And that's actually not a simple, simple thing, right? That relies on supply chains that are not only intermingled across this country, but are intermingled across the world. And as that all started to break down, people recognize, wow, like I'm very susceptible to what's happening, not only in other parts of this country, but in other parts of this world. And then there became worries about, well, who's handling my food and who's touching my food and what's actually on it. And that, that got even more intense. And so the fact that what we're able to do at Bowery is offer a simpler supply chain, a safer supply chain, and a more sustainable supply chain, that, that deli the delivery of those values became that much more important as COVID hit. And, and what matters to consumers ultimately also matters to retailers. And I think the other piece of the equation was just the surety of supply that we can provide to those retailers. As other suppliers around the country and around the world were struggling, we were consistently and reliably able to be there for our retail partners. And that lack of disruption and that consistency in our supply chain became even more important to the retail partners and therefore to the to the consumers as well. And so collectively, that all drove a lot of the growth we've seen over the course of the last 15 or so months. Let's just talk a little bit about your consumers, your end consumers, the moms like me, the, the dads, the kids, everyone who eats your food. Where, where do consumers find you? How do they know they're finding you? Um, and who are your ideal customers? Yeah, so, so we sell Alexa under, under the Bowery name. And you know, the reason we do that is because it, it is just to the conversation we were just having, it's really important that people can trust the food that they're buying. And we want people to know who they're buying it from. We want people to know what they're buying. We want them to know about how we grow, why we grow the way we do, why it is more sustainable, why it provides a better product for consumers. So you can find Bowery under the Bowery name, and you can find it in all different types of grocery stores. So we are partners with Whole Foods, and we're partners with Ahold, and we're our partners with Safeway Albertsons, and we're partners with Peapod and Walmart. So grocers who serve not only many different areas around the tri-state area and in the mid-Atlantic, but many different customer types and, and demographics as well. And, and I think that's the other part of this equation that sometimes gets misunderstood, which is it isn't just people with kids who care about what they eat. It's everybody. And because and, and, everybody eats. And I think that that's what's so important to us at Bowery is how do you democratize access to high quality fresh food? How do we ensure that everybody has access to the best quality, best tasting food all year round? And that's the other nice part about it is if you think about produce, the problem is Outdoor agriculture has basically optimized for three things. The product has to resist pests on the field. It has to resist drought on the field. And then it has to travel long distances and oftentimes a long time to show up and look good on the shelf. And they'll, those optimizations happen at the expense of flavor and quality and variety. And so that means, yeah, you may be eating a tomato, but it probably doesn't have that much flavor and taste and excitement in it. And so people talk longingly about, oh, the tomatoes I get in August that come from, you know, my garden or the farmer's market. And the truth is great produce shouldn't be reserved to a few weeks of time in a year. And all those variables that are actually impacting what can be grown outside don't impact us at Bowery. So we can find these incredible flavors, these incredible varieties, this incredible produce, which is really what produce is meant to be tasting like and offer it to everyone. 
And that means it's better to eat well as well. One of the things I love about what you're doing at Bowery is part of your mission is to make farming more sustainable, um, not just better for the end consumer, not safer, not faster, just but also more sustainable for our planet. What are the wins on innovation here that you're personally most proud of? Wow. I mean, there are, the, the team at Bowery is it really is astounding. I mean, I am blown away, you know, daily by the things I see that the team is working on and building and creating. I, you know, I, I think it's it's probably unfair, Alexa, to even point one thing out because there are so many innovations that are exciting that 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 all come together to make what we do possible. I mean, you you can look at some of the innovations just in the agricultural science space and some of the products and the crops that we're growing today. I mean, you can go to some of our retail partners and find green sorrel, which which literally tastes like an explosion of a green candy apple in your mouth when you eat it. And and to be able to offer something like that to consumers or our kale, take that for an example. People so frequently look at kale and say, oh, it's chalky. And it's, it's I, like, I feel like I'm supposed to like kale, but I don't actually like it. So I eat it because I'm supposed to. And then you try Bowery kale and you're, and it's soft and it's sweet and, and be like, wow, like, this is amazing. So the ability to offer varieties like this, to bring enthusiasm towards eating things that people used to just feel almost a responsibility to eat, that in and of itself is amazing. I look at what we've done in our technology side and the Bowery operating system and, and the ability to, in essence, create a distributed network of farms. And what that means is what, what's really prevented agriculture from scaling historically is, is two things. Climactic variants, right? The climate is different really wherever you are from a farming perspective. And then knowledge specialization. So if you're if you're the best farmer in this area, Alexa, and then we, we picked you up and we brought you down to Florida, for instance, your skills wouldn't be as, as acute because it's different soil, it's different temperature and climate. It's, it, it's different everything. In our case, we can build a farm anywhere in any city in the world. And it doesn't matter if it's in Saskatchewan or if it's in Kuwait, it can be anywhere. And we can create the exact same climate we wanna have inside of that farm. And then the Bowery operating system goes in and creating climate at scale is not just simply putting up walls and some racks and lights. It takes a lot of technology to do that. And that's where the innovation comes in. But then the operating system is in that farm. And we have the knowledge of every crop we've ever run, every ever grown and every process we've ever run that's immediately available to that farm. And so that farm comes online with the knowledge of the entire network and all its history. And then that farm contributes data into the network itself. And so the network gets stronger and stronger. So it really is this distributed network that gets more powerful as it grows. And so the innovation behind that is really staggering. And it's what we've been working on for years and years. And we will continue to work on for many years to come as well. If you fast forward a decade, so the rest of us are you know, not experts, you are, what are the predictions? What's obvious to you that is going to dramatically change over the next five to 10 to 15 years? If you had to make one or two big bets, what are they? No question, the alternative meat, and that's, a, a, that's an overly general way of categorizing it, but the alternative meat industry at large is going to be an enormous part of our food system moving forward. It needs to be. And I, and that includes not only companies like an Impossible Foods or Beyond Meat, but that also includes companies that are working and cell-based meats and cell culture agriculture. And, and 
there's so much interesting technology that's helping to figure out how can you essentially provide the experience of meat without the requirement of the animals themselves, because there's a whole animal humanity component to this, as well as the environmental impact. And it's not just because people talk a lot about the methane that comes for cows and things like this, but it's also all of the land that's required to grow the food that then goes to feed those animals. I mean, the ratios for, for beef, I think is something around 10 calories in for one calorie out, you know, so it's a terribly inefficient system. So that inevitably has to change. I think it is changing very quickly. And I think you're seeing the impossibles and the beyonds mature. There's an enormous crop of companies behind them that are some multiple years back in sort of the cell-based area of meat. And that is, is a really exciting space. Alexa here. Not only do I get the opportunity to speak with all types of founders on, for starters, but I'm a repeat founder myself. We all know how vital fundraising is to a startup. Carta knows this too. That's why they had founders in mind when they created their fundraising suite, providing tools and support to take the friction out of fundraising. They save founders time and money, allowing you to focus on your goals, not the admin work needed to close around. From simply issuing safes to quickly receiving funds, Carta Fundraising Suite helps their cap table customers raise a better fundraising round. To learn more or to get started, go to carta.com forward slash fundraise. That's carta.com forward slash fundraise. One of the things I'm impressed by, and obviously, Irving, I met you long ago as you were getting the business up and running. If you go back to 2015, when Bowery was founded, there was skepticism around feasibility of vertical farming. Um, you truly had to swim against the grain. And you know, as I said at the top of the interview, you've now since raised about $480 million and a $2 billion valuation. So you've proved a lot of those naysayers wrong. But if you think about the skeptics, and I think some of your best founders have to literally swim against the grain and be okay on their own two feet. What did you learn about yourself doing that? And what helped you do that well? Yeah. You know, I, so I, I think that the amazing part is one may assume that given where we are in our journey and the money we've raised, that the, the, the skeptics have been silenced. I'd probably argue that the, the skeptics get even louder now. Um, and, and so I would I would say the skepticism continues. It only enhances in some ways as you become more public and you become larger. And, and we've always known, as you pointed out at Bowery, that this was sort of, a, you know, as someone I work with says, sort of a non-consensus opportunity. But there was something I loved about that. And I loved the challenge in it. I loved the opportunity in it. And the other part of it, though, and I've talked about this before, is I think when you work on something that that has that sort of non-consensus, and as you call it, sort of against the grain or against the, the, the current nature to it, my view is that you've it's your responsibility not only to educate yourself on all the reasons that it can work, but equally, and maybe even more importantly, to educate yourself on all the reasons why it can't. And, and when I say educate, I don't just mean being open to those reasons, but I really, in the early days, sought out people who had done work and, and who weren't just randomly someone off the street, but, you know, quote unquote, experts in the field who were convinced that this was never going to happen. We're convinced that vertical farming couldn't work. We're convinced that it was just a, a fool's errand, if you would. And it's tough because as an early entrepreneur, and, and you can uh, certainly uh, empathize with this, I'm sure, like 
it feels really good to spend time with the people who are cheering you along and pushing you forward and, and just validating that, of course, this is going to happen. And of course, this is going to be huge. And of course, you're on the right path. You know, when you're building something of any sort by yourself, that kind of encouragement feels good. But it really is so important and incumbent on you as an entrepreneur to go out and find the people who feel exactly the opposite. Because I felt like it was really important to understand why do these people think that this is impossible? Why do these people think that this can't work? Like, and, and what is their rationale? Because I needed to not only understand it for myself, but I felt like it needed to be taken into account as I was thinking about how to build this business, even before that, if I wanted to build this business and if it made sense to build this business. And being pushed in both of those directions, both forward and backwards, is what allows you to shape and structure and tune the idea itself. And it, and it makes it better, right? Tension and in some ways, friction smooths out an idea, right? It, it actually, it smooths it and it puts it together and it, and it creates a better vessel in the end. And so I sought out that tension. Last question just on you, Irving, two questions. What has been the most surprising thing about being a founder? And what is the thing that you do to stay sane? Ah, man, you know, I, I, I think, I don't, I, it's such a hard question on the surprising part of founder because I feel like I've been doing this for so long now. I, I don't know even, I, there's things that surprise you about the business all the time. You know, I think the, the fluidity when you're a founder is, it can be very intense at times. What I mean is, you know, your need to switch context continuously, your need to fly at many different altitudes in a single day uh, can be surprising at times. And, you know, I think the, the way I describe it sometimes to people is, you, I think being a founder is you know a Friday afternoon where you're finishing up your last call and you have a set of plans you're really excited for that evening and over the weekend and then you get a text message or a phone call from someone asking for a few minutes and you then spend the next 48 plus hours dealing with this issue that 15 minutes before you just had no idea about and I don't know that that part doesn't surprise me anymore but just the the variance of the different things that can come up in so many different places it, it, it's challenging, but it's also rewarding in that regard. I love it. And then what's your one hack for handling stress? How do you stay sane? I really believe in, in physical activity and exercise. So I really prioritize that. Like the mornings are sort of the period for myself that I prioritize and staying physically active, working out exercises is, is so critical for me, not just the physical component to it, which of course is important, but I find the psychological aspect of it. Like if I don't work out for a set of days in a row, like I can, I can sort of feel that experience in the way I go through my day as well. So for me, that, that without a question keeps me sane. Last few questions, it's a quick fire round. I'm gonna just ask a question. You give me the first thing that comes to your mind. Coolest pinch me moment so far at Bowery Farming. Oof, I'll give you two, I'm gonna cheat. I think the first was when I first saw crops growing in the very first farm we built, just the entire experience of building our first farm, taking something that had been in our heads and on you know paper and slide decks for such a long period of time and seeing that it, you know, in life and then seeing the crops themselves, was unbelievable. And then the other was the first time we brought our product to, to actually Chef Tom Calicchio, who, you know, like is just renowned for being, you know, one of the architects of the farm to table movement. And 
getting him to try Bowery Proctor, not just a try it, but waiting anxiously. You know, I was a Top Chef fan and, and he is as direct in life as he is on Top Chef and him trying the product and his eyes lighting up with just like enthusiasm and excitement for what we'd grown, like seeing that we had grown something that someone who was so discerning and such an expert thought was delicious was just this incredible moment. That's pretty cool. That's awesome. Um, what gets you out of bed in the morning? Honestly, you know, I think... I just am excited for life and what's ahead. I think there's just so, you know, it depends on the day and it depends on where I am, but I think there's so many, you know, whether it's a challenge that I'm taking on for that day, whether it's somebody I'm meeting with that I'm really excited about, whether it's a conversation like this, which I'm looking forward to have, you know, whether it's a weekend day and I'm somewhere where I'm really excited about, or I'm going to go out and surf or something like that. Like, you know, I think that there's so many great things in life to be able to be excited about each day. I try to do the best I can to focus on those. And that usually gets me up before my alarm and, and feeling like I should sleep, wanting to get up. Last quick questions here. Uh, favorite question you like to ask when you're interviewing somebody just to get to the core of who they are? You know, I get asked this question sometimes. And if I, I'll be honest, like, I don't have one single favorite interview question because I actually think interviewing for me, at least, is a lot about the individual and the role and the moment in time for that company. And so what I try to do is like, I look at everybody as an individual in the interview process. I look at those, you know, those roles are each different, obviously, but also the moment in time and what the company needs from that individual and the role change. And so I really try to, to, to customize what I'm asking based on the conversation I'm having with somebody and based on, you know, whatever that role and time in the company is. So there isn't one go-to question that I ask everybody. I think it, it changes depending on who I'm talking to and when I'm talking to them. Totally fair. Uh, a favorite book of any kind in your life. So th this will probably throw you, but the little prince. I love it. Last two questions. Fast forward two years. How many days a week will we be in an office? Yeah, I think that certainly three days a week for sure. I think in some cases, maybe even four. I think the ability to spend time and in person with people and to collaborate collectively is, is being sometimes underappreciated and undervalued. And I think as we emerge from what's been a pretty crazy you know, 18 months, the sort of reinvigoration of spending time together is going to come back, you know, strongly. Totally. Um, by the way, everyone says three, just so you know, it's like an absolutely fascinating to me. Um, last question, other than Bowery, one startup of any kind, shape, doesn't matter what it is, they are excited about. Yeah. So, you know, I, I was talking about cell-based meat uh, earlier. There's a company called Artemis uh, on the West Coast that's working on cell-based meat and cell-based agriculture. I think it's really interesting. Um, they're doing important work, valuable work. It's early on, but I'm excited about what they're doing. I'm excited about the entire space. I think the whole biosynthetic fertilizers, I mean, there's so many places this can all go. We could have had a whole conversation of just the future of agriculture, honestly. It's just so fascinating. That's awesome. First of all, Irving, thank you so much for joining us today. Everybody out there, if you haven't already checked it out, check out BoweryFarming.com. You can join us next week for Inc. The Founders Project with Alexa Von Tobel. And let's say a big thank you to Irving. Irving, you are a sensation. Thank you so much for honoring us here today. Hey, thanks so much for having me. It was a lot of fun.